This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Raslan, today, we have the returns of two ex-BFM people. She was a producer at BFM, and she's uh, not that regular on Bit of Culture. We'd like to have her a lot more. She is Azura Rahman. Hello. Hello. And he is, uh, well, he's uh, very much, uh, once upon a time, a very important producer here at BFM. And he now runs the, actually, I've, I'm afraid I've just closed the window that describes it. <laughs> he, he now has the, uh, the Ezra Zaid podcast. He is Ezra Zaid. And what's the name of your podcast properly? Well, it's the Ezra Zaid Project. And yeah, it, that, that came pretty close. So I'm good. Thank you. Okay, and, and he, he uh, was begging me, begging me begging to, <laughs> to, to mention that at the beginning of Bit of Culture because he wants to steal both our listeners and, and take them across to the Ezra Absolutely. I, you know, it, it, it's, it's very much related to like just having no marketing dollars and so this is, <laughs> this is what I'm going to be doing. Right. And also, if you've been watching the news at all, uh, ever, uh, you'll know that uh, Ezra Zayed has had some legal troubles in the past. He's been hounded, but uh, but now he's free at last. Uh, that's all all in the free past. Free at last. Free yes. at last, indeed. Yes. Um, so our three topics this week uh, will be, topic number one is the end of Trump, but not the end of Trumpism. Topic number two is gingham. <laughs> and finally, topic number three is a topic we're struggling to find a, a, a name for, but it's about uh, a very recent uh, storm that happened on uh, social media surrounding an interview given by uh, a Dutch designer with the South China Morning Post. We can't think of a snappy title, so we're just going to leave it at that. So <laughs> with topic number one, as we speak at time of recording, Donald Trump is having his last few moments as the president of the United States, and he will soon be gone. Ezra Said, you must be very sad that that's happening. Well, uh, it, it's very strange because I think in the last couple of weeks, uh, as a result of those um, you know, horrible riots in, in the Capitol in Washington, D.C., I, I didn't imagine the bookend of what the Trump presidency would... I, I didn't imagine it to, to end like that. And so, as you said, you know... Um, President-elect Joseph Biden is about to enter office. And I've been trying to think about these past four years of, you know, this particular president. And it's been really exhausting. And and he's been so consequential, but not in the right ways. And it's, that's the only thing on my timeline right now. And I, it, it's, it's so surreal that, um, you know, I think I was probably on air when, um, you know, a pre- President Trump became president. And now just to see, you know, him on, on, the, on the back of all of these, crazy things of being impeached twice. It's, it's just, it's, it's a moment to reflect, but it's been exhausting to even reflect on his legacy and and the legacy of, of I guess, Trumpism, which is this, you know, growing manifestation of um, people in America, 70 odd million of them who who have a voice. And and, and I don't know if that, that's still necessarily being heard and, and maybe that's his legacy for, for people to engage in. Okay, Azura, have you been engaged with the Trump years? Oh, well, you know, especially this past couple of weeks, I've been staying at my parents and I feel like I'm, I'm having a play-by-play account of what's been happening um, in Washington, D.C. because CNN's on the whole time. My parents can't talk about anything about, about Trump's um, slow descent and um, exit out of the White House. I, I think um, I don't think there's anyone that I know personally who's unhappy about him le- leaving the White House. But it's just crazy that he's going down in such a storm in the manner that he has gone down. And it's really been a, a blockbuster of sorts, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it's not the um, ending you'd imagine, but somehow we could have 
predicted this happening because he's mentioned before, um, even before the election, that he will not leave quietly. And um, he certainly hasn't. Yeah. I actually, you know, just before we, we started recording, I just got a phone call from an American friend of mine who is in California. I haven't spoken to him for like 30 years and he called me up. He is so excited and happy that Donald Trump's about to leave office. <laughs> he, he called me. And he, and he was saying that even after these four years, he cannot understand the appeal of Donald Trump. And so, you know, he's an American. He's been in America the whole time. And, and he is absolutely nonplussed by who these 70 million people who voted for Trump are. But there seems to be some enormous divide. But he was even more shocked when I said that there are even people in Malaysia, in this country, who are pro-Trump. Yeah. Um, I mean, perhaps we, we know them. I know of a few. Oh, same here. And I think that's why, you know, in, in the discussion of Trumpism, it's activated all of these different movements right across the globe. And even in our family living rooms, you can hear that uh, Trumpism um, sort of just peeking out of people's sort of uh, contrarian notions. And it's obviously even more, um, I guess, vibrant on social media. And, and I think the, the interesting thing about, I, I guess, Trump, you may not like his personality, but then I was sort of trying to reflect on the question, did he do like a good job as this, this president of the United States? And, um, you know, with regards to the inauguration that's coming up, uh, one of these sequences that presidents do is they, they put the hand on the Bible and then they, they essentially, you know, say something along the lines of faithfully executing uh, the office of the president of the United States. But then there's this, this, this line that says like it's to basically defend uh, and protect the constitution of the United States. And like, this was one guy who in that position of power serially attacked um, the constitution, all of these institutions. And it was like, it was like the biggest four rounds of, of a litmus test of whether this American democracy thing works. And, and, and you know, he, he gave it a run. <laughs> one thing I wanna say is that we, we mentioned the word Trumpism um, but can we distill exactly what that means? Um, because, you know, you say you know people who have kind of um, fallen for uh, under the spell of Trumpism and all that. Are we talking about the injection of far right thinking? Are we talking about um, extreme conservatism? Are we talking about supremacism? What do you think actually Trumpism alludes to? I, I personally think, and if I think of the Malaysians who are pro-Trump, I think that um, Trumpism is... <laughs> We've been taught a story that the correct way to be as a human being is to be is to aspire to be a, a proper middle class person, and that requires uh, an education and a tertiary education. And then you go off and you get a salary job, and then you you make lots of money and 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 you'll be fine. And all of American culture, cinema, etc., is aimed at those people. But if let's say you don't for one reason or another, or cannot take part in that, if you don't go get yourself an education, because it's very, it's very expensive and you may not have yeah. been, uh, you may not, never have had the aptitude or, or the, the culture of people around you and ever supportive of that, then you're outside of what is, what is a proper person and, and you can feel belittled and, uh, and you are constantly shamed by your ignorance and stupidity. And, and I think that what Trump, did was he came along and he said i'm ignorant and proud of it yeah and uh and i stand for all the people who are sidelined by by culture by cultural output and and, and also just on that note cam like the, the relationship 
of what this particular individual has done with the media has also changed just how people consume, um, you know, information, truth, fake news, conspiracies, QAnon and all that. And it, it's one of those things when, when he burst on the scene four years ago, um, you know, there was this uh, quote by this journalist, I can't sort of remember who, but basically that, you know, the media took him literally, but not seriously. And, but as for the American public, the ones that you just spoke about, Cam, like they took him seriously, but not literally. And it's, it's one of those fascinating things about people's re- relationship, even with the notion of what truth is. And, and yeah, it's, he's, he's really been far more consequential than uh, I thought he would ever be. I thought he was just this host. Um, from The Apprentice. And I remember watching him in, I think, second year university on his television. Oh, this is what a rich, successful man looks like. But by the, by the third, fourth episode, you knew he was a con man. But this con man made it to the highest office um, you know, of power. And, and, and that's, that's quite surreal. You see, Ezra, you mentioned at some point, you wondered whether he has actually done anything for the American people, the yeah. people who fell for his lies, so to speak. Um, I think, if anything, if you can't, you know, quantify exactly what he's done. What he has done is galvanize all these outsiders sure. um, to believe um, in another form of the American dream, you know, which is not what Cam mentioned earlier that's been popularized, that's been, been mythologized in, in, in movies and so on. So that is powerful in itself. You know, they might have not built something, but they've certainly achieved something. Mm. Well, well, uh... The whole world and bit of culture must move on from Trump. <laughs> and uh, but I got I got I got to add one final thing because um, uh, <clears throat> this show is nothing if not uh, about David Bowie. And David Bowie said <laughs> about the internet that the, what the internet is going to do is it's going to break up the notion of uh, the, the, any common understanding of known truths and known untruths, known facts and known unfacts and and i think that if you are ever involved in any kind of magical thinking uh that isn't based on sort of you know commonly understood notions of i don't know gravity or the earth is round for god's sakes uh you know then trump is a doorway to to um to an excuse to believing whatever it is you want to believe yeah. uh, but move on uh to topic number two which is gingham which uh, Azura shouted at me earlier was saying uh, to, to say that I had pr- mispronounced, but uh, I'm going to stick with gingham, <laughs> which is the anglicized way. Although the word itself is actually from um, from the Malay, uh, it's one of the few words that has uh, entered the English language from the Malay language. Now, uh, Ezra, you and I were lounging around at our homes and we're wearing our gajah dudu uh, sarong. Very nice, obviously. And uh, the pattern is just everyday look, <laughs> everyday look. We used to come into the office like that. Um, <clears throat> and the pattern on that, the, the checks on that, that's that's known as gingham. And uh, and, and I uh, I've looked through uh, old family photographs of mine. I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have a photograph of my Malay uh, great, great grandfather, four generations away and <clears throat> subsequent um, from then, my great-great-grandfather wore an outfit. He was born in the 1860s. He was wearing an outfit that I, I just could not comprehend. I, I really couldn't work out what it was. It kind of Araby. I really couldn't quite tell. His son, in, in around 1900, was wearing an outfit which had gingham. His uh, bajumlayu was with uh, checked uh, trousers. And, and I was, I've always been admiring of that outfit, thinking, I'd love to do that. And in fact, if you look at Bajumlayu back then, men's trousers, they almost invariably always had the gingham, the check or stripes. And then it sort of disappeared. 
So this word has entered the English language, but from the Malay, but Malays don't really wear gingham anymore. Uh, but uh, I, I may be completely wrong with that. Azura. Um, I, I just wanted to know what is the etymology of the word gingham? Did it come from a particular Malay word? Because, you know, it does. Gungang. Apparently, it came from the word gengang. Yeah. Gengang or gengam? Gengang. Gengang. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, uh, and Bahasa Indonesia, gengang. Gengang. Yeah. Maybe they I mean, became it, gingham. You know, it's going to be anglicized. Uh, you know, the word compound, for instance, comes from the word kampong. <laughs> so, you know, it, yes. it, gets, it yeah. gets changed. Yes. I mean, um, you mentioned whether it's still used today in Malaysian culture. Um, and you also mentioned with Indonesia because the Balinese Hindu obviously revere gingham in their everyday worship. You see it all along um, in, in their um, temples. You know, you see the black and white gingham cloth yeah. wrapping deities, that kind of thing. Um, as for our local Malay culture, I think, you know, the patterns fall in and out of, of fashion. You know, uh, at one point when my mother got married, for example, the song kit that was used was bunga tabo, which is, you know, just discrete um, flowers, uh, flower pat floral patterns all over one big piece of cloth, as opposed to something that was a bit more um, close formed. This is the kind of song kit that was in vogue when I got married. So I, I think it's something that kind of falls in and out of fashion. But I remember you asking me um, earlier on, um, before this chat, whether we still use it um, in daily wear. Funnily enough, just within this one month, I've, I know two local designers who've launched collections using gingham as their main motif um, for their loungewear, and it sold out completely. So, and, you know, of course, even in Western fashion, uh, gingham is seen as something that's quite, um, how shall I say, pastoral, worn by milkmaids in the country kind of thing. And that kind of goes in our fashion and it normally pops up around summertime. You know, it seemed to be as a very cooling kind of cloth. So it's, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's something that's completely fallen out of fashion, but a lot of the fashion that and the trends that drive our local trends as well is also driven by Western trends. And hence why you see now local designers have sold out collections. And this was Whimsy Girl and Alamne Magnusia, by the way, who used gingham in their recent collections. And that's partly driven by the fact that gingham has come up again um, in Western fashion trends as well. So it's just what, how things fall in and out. What I love about um, just uh, the fact that we're talking about gingham is, is one thing, but the, but the second part of it is, is the fact that I guess in the way in which we um, engage with the cloth and, and the fabric and it makes its way to I don't know southern Manchester and, and you know has the these beginnings and the fact that Azura is saying wow like now it's this pastoral summer kind of thing I mean it take it's taken on a life of its own in a different environment a different culture and I guess the community engages with that um, cloth and fabric and makes it their own and I guess for it to make its way home I guess mm -hmm. you know in, in whatever shape or way it, it's hope hopefully there's a revival of these things that are actually ours, but we've kind of lost touch with it maybe. Well, speaking of revivals, I, I, I've always looked at these uh, old photographs. They're in black and white, so I, don't, I cannot discern what the color patterns are. But I, I look at those and I think, uh, you know, I'd love, to, I'd love to do that for my own bedroom layer, but I don't have the guts. I simply don't have the courage to turn up to a wedding uh, dressed in stripes and... Uh, checks and i sort of think yeah no but this is gingham this is from <laughs> this is you're from wearing gingham. a plaid shirt as as, as we speak you well know? this this is 
well, yeah, it's it, we're on the radio. Listeners can't, can't, can't see that. But I guess this is more like a lumberjack kind of, this is like, you know, Canadian. It's kind of an image I like to, uh, to nurture as a sense of me as a lumberjack. So you're fine with being a Canadian lumberjack, but not an 18th, uh, 19th century Malay gent. Well, well could, could actually, I pull it off? Can I, can I, I mean, you know, can we do it? Well, I think definitely, you know, um, you know, I think when it comes to 19th century or 20th century Malay man, I think Kamrazal is the perfect person to to describe those type of characters. Oh, bless you, <laughs> bless you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bring back the 19th century is what I say. But um, I, so I, okay, I turn to you, Azura. Then uh, should I do it? Can I do it? People laugh at me. I think so. I know I, there might be a, a snicker or two, but they just. Don't get it, but one, you know what? They'll be, they'll laugh at you, but they'll actually be intrigued. And in the next season, they'll be copying you. Ooh, okay. All right. So I'm, I'm going to bring back I think, Gingham. I think we gave bring- him too much encouragement there. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they laugh at me, I'm going to blame you. As well. Okay. I'll so, take it on. But in a moment, we're going to do more. Uh, I think we're going to be doing more fashion talk, uh, more Malaysian, Malay style fashion talk here on A Bit of Culture on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Ruslan, Ezra Zaid, and Azura Rahman. And now Azura, as she just pointed out to me and reminded me, as I should know, uh, she was once the host of uh, Style File here on BFM. And so now we're topic number three. Uh, it's the topic that we haven't found a good name for but recently there was um quite a lot of hoo-ha on um, social media relating to uh an article that came out in the south china morning post um by or about uh, a dutch designer a dutch woman living in malaysia and um she was talking about her inspirations and uh, it got a lot of flack and so um azura yeah i mean um it was an article that i think uh, was problematic for a lot of people it was basically a profile on the designer Lizette Shears, who's behind Nala Designs. And uh, they are known for their quirky prints that's been rock printed, very brightly colored, and it's done terribly well. I mean, they do um, household items, they, do, they started off with postcards, and these prints have now made it onto dresses, onto chongsams, and even onto baju kurongs. And this was literally a profile piece on her on her background as a designer and her childhood um, as an expat's child in Kuala Lumpur and in Hong Kong and how she returned back to Malaysia um, and after a career of advertising in Amsterdam in her home country and um, decided to launch Nala Designs uh, because of her own appreciation of um, Peranakan prints and also in her words, you know, in, in how Malaysian women used to dress. and. Um, Things went went south very quickly when she cited the reason, part of the reason why she uh, does what she does is because um, she found it a shame that many Malaysian women seem to have fallen out of touch with um, their cultural legacy when it comes to baju kurongs, um, that they decided to dress in cheap polyester fabrics, in her words, and um, that she's on a crusade. She's on a crusade to bring back um, the glory days of how Malaysians used to dress. And um, like I said, this was problematic in, in, in many, many ways because she had complained in the article about how things in Kuala Lumpur had become rapidly commercialized. Quality wasn't in there when it comes to craft. But here she is, someone who is capitalizing on that. 
and you know charging uh, big bucks for her range of items that's supposed to be an appreciation of local culture and also at the same time the the problems come also arise because basically the patent untruth and the complete inaccuracy of how Malaysians in general don't wear baju kurung anymore and of course it's also problematic because this is coming from um the voice of someone who's not local who is dutch some people view it as a form of cultural appropriation as opposed to just appreciation and it's also problematic because there is almost like a post colonial hangover of how ex colonies and the people who live in ex colonies must remain in how they are you know she said you know people used to live in kampung houses i live in a kampung house um because i can't stand condominiums and it's kind of make people think oh is it is it a sin for you know ex colonies to progress and to no longer uh, present that uh, postcard picture of how colonies used to be when they were under the influence of their colonial masters so a lot of these arguments have come up which you i'm sure you have read um on social media on twitter on facebook it's something that i've kind of taken to digest for the past few days at the same time trying to digest um her apology as well she said she's sorry and she said um i'm sorry for causing any misunderstandings i don't want to even discuss the apology as to whether it's sincere or not i think it's something that's quite uh difficult to kind of pinpoint on but there are a lot of things that 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 were presented in this article that just didn't quite sit right with me um just to let you know i myself i had participated in her own um exercise in wanting to capitalize on local culture i was a big fan of her clothes for the design for the design story behind it but it became problematic for me when i learned that the story was about her and her crusade to want to dress malay people and and to try and make them understand that you know their culture is now uh suddenly fading away that became very problematic for me so can i just ask i i did she did she use the word crusade i've read the she article did. i don't remember she that she did remember that. she did at the very right at the very end and you oh, know in 2021 in 2021 for a white person living in an ex colony using the word crusade it just does not wash well it just oh, yeah. doesn't I, wash well i see the word crusade can i just say with the article it's a long article it just i think uh well she describes her life where she moved around and and one of the things i got was she just well she's she's a woman who really loves malaysia that's something i got um and she says in the final paragraph just a bit of a throwaway thing my dream is to see the baju kurung return to see malays dressing beautifully again Now obviously the baju kurung hasn't gone away. Mm. So that's odd. But I Yes. I, I, at the very least. Ezra, how had did you read the article? Did, were you involved in this uh Well, <laughs> well firstly I just heard the reverberations from the, the steam that was going out of uh, Azura's Instagram as she was you know articulating this on on the day of the action. So I was I was engaging it from there. But I I I do wonder I guess you know sometimes especially when these types of statements come out especially in these profile pieces it's not lost on me that it's done on the south china morning post which you know as a paper in itself uh, positions itself on expats and and their experiences and their stories and so there's certainly an irony and the angle to that but i think the fact that it got so much traction here is because 
especially in middle-class Bangsa where Nala Designs resides, um, you know, it's something that has engaged with that, that middle-class, upper-middle-class consumer. And they've always sort of engaged with it. And to see this, um, I guess, manifest in this way, I, I wonder whether, um, you know, are people sort of getting onto this as because of the issue or because of her representation of the other and, and, and that sort of dynamic. I, I'm not, I can't, I couldn't really tell where the, the, the fire came from uh, beyond it. Yeah. I think another one of the really um, trigger points is when she went on to describe and saying that, oh, you know, that people that these uh, are wearing cheap polyester fabrics and, you know, that sounds as classist as it comes. Yeah. Not everyone can afford a 600 ringgit cotton baju kurung. You know, what they can afford is an 80 ringgit baju kurung from Jalan Tukur Rahman that's made from so-called cheap polyester fabrics. But, you know, and, and I think that uh, and anything that's, that's pointing to the lack of means is going to be problematic, especially during a time like this where people are lacking means, you know, terribly lacking means. And also... Another problem with me with this article and, and the whole thinking behind it is why can't women just wear what they want to wear? You know, why, why should someone have to wear the baju kurung on a daily basis? Why can't they wear it just during Raya? Why can't they only wear it on Fridays? What's wrong with women wanting to wear jeans? What's wrong with women wanting to wear, you know, an Arabic jubah because it's more comfortable for her? Why is it, you know, so important for the Malay women to uphold the dressing culture of, of our forefathers and, and so forth? Why can't women just wear what they want to wear? Well, Azura, I can't help thinking you're bringing a lot of stuff into this which wasn't in there in the first place. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, and, no, no. The thing is, Cam, it is very, it is very multi-layered, and that's why it's hit people. It's really opened a lot of different conversations well, as yeah. to you know when it comes to how people are, are when people say they want to teach people how to dress. You know, it's going to put someone on on the on the back foot immediately because for me. Why can't I wear what I want to wear? Why, why should I be subjected to someone else dictating how I should dress? I don't think that is the very I, first instinct. Yeah, I Cam, really what don't are think. Your thoughts on this, Cam. Sorry. What, what are your thoughts on this particular well, issue? I, I, when I saw, when I started seeing this uh, going off on uh, social media, it's like I just don't want to get involved in this at all. <laughs> Because, you know, it was like it was, the lynch mob was out. And, I, and I'm not really with you on this one, Azura. I think that we had here um, uh, a woman who was really trying to express uh, that she loves Malaysia and that she is Dutch, but she had gone back, gone to live in Holland and didn't find it was good for her because she found that she was wanting, needing to be somewhere else. And so this, this, she, she got it a little bit wrong. And she got it a plenty wrong, I would say. I, I don't, don't think you, yeah. oh, Not really. No, she wasn't like saying burn it to the ground. No, she wasn't saying that. But I do think that she got it a bit wrong. I think that we can talk about two things. One is, and, and we should talk about it, is the, the, the cultural fashion uh, angle of it. But then there's the other thing, which is the vehemence of the response on social media, which I think is rather interesting. And that it has gotten a lot of people angry and it is as Ezra has pointed out as far as I can see exclusively on English language Malaysian sources 
But no, I, I completely disagree with that as well. I mean, you've got the Pomaisuri Agong weighing in on this as well. You've got, you know, mm-hmm. writers in Cosmo and Brita Harian weighing on this as well. And the and the main thing is is because it's patently untrue. You know, we've it's had not plenty. That it's not uh, patently untrue. It's just it is wrong. untrue because it's she wrong. said is yeah, meaning it's different that from it's untrue. Wrong. It is, it is. I think it is yeah. because she said that the because she went on to say that the Bajukurung is dead, that no one is wearing it, and that is untrue. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's wrong. But like, you know, it's not that bad a thing. It's not that bad. It's a thing to say. Well, if it's wrong, then it needs to be couldn't righted, we, right? Couldn't we agree that um, you know, for somebody of her generation and her experience with regard to uh, Malaysia, that she certainly I think expressed her um, care for fashion, Malaysian fashion culture in a way that was a little bit out of touch and out of uh, out of date, I guess, in terms of the contemporary language in we which we use. I mean, could are we... you fine with the word crusade, Ezra? No, obviously I'm not. But I think where where Cam is coming from is that I don't think she had any other tools or terms that she knew how to use to express her, um, I guess, care for 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 this particular. Um, subject matter, I guess, and, and, and her brand or her identity. Yeah, and I think that, uh, as Ezra pointed out, she, this was to, as, as a lesson for all of us to learn here, is that she was speaking to the South China Morning Post. As far, as I don't far think she, it matters. No, no, it does. It do. No, it does. Well, clearly it doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, I think that it, <laughs> it, no, it doesn't matter anymore. And I think yeah. that that's a lesson that we can learn. Uh, she thought that, uh, you know, old timers like ourselves, she thought she was talking to the South China Morning Post, which is, as Ezra said, it's Hong Kong. It's predominantly expat. And uh, if you look at, I've, and I have done, looked at a lot of South China Morning Post, you constantly read stuff which is like, oh, that's a bit wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're talking about things in Hong Kong and China, and these people are expats are really kind of like, I know, I know, I really don't think we can say that anymore, but they constantly and do. Yeah, which, which I hope, which what I hope at the end of this whole, how shall I say, furore on, on uh, social media was that it would be a teaching moment, whether it's for the South China Morning Post or for Lizette Shears herself, that, you know, there are some things that you just cannot say or cannot think of anymore um, in 2021. Now, someone asked me, is there a redeeming point um, in all of this where maybe she's plowing into local industry you know I think we we as a nation we know we're used to having people who appreciate our culture and done a lot of conservation work and they're not necessarily Malaysians themselves um, and, and and there are many aspects of our culture that we do lack an appreciation for but you know it's being plowed into communities who've got you know little light shone on or you know it's, it's, it's a case of where it's a it's not a case of where they are making money on it and, you know, and charging lots of money for it. But unfortunately, in this particular scenario, these things are not play, being played out in her role in design. You know, it's not being, she's not um, trying to shine her light on some artisanal batik maker in Trangano or some songket weaver in, in Pahang, you see? Azura, perhaps as you said, that if, if she had a mechanism or an ecosystem in which as for example, the proceeds of her designs go back into, I guess, the revival of it through uh, young students or young craft makers. It, it might, it might have turned out. Uh, th- these comments might have turned out differently, perhaps. Yeah, and also she doesn't do that. Yeah, uh, you know, and you can you can like it or not. Uh, you can buy the stuff or not. I know nothing about her design, and I I really don't. I, I 
don't care one way or the other. But earlier when we were talking about gingham, you 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 mentioned Azura, and I have mispronounced it again, um, but I've anglicised it. You you know, when we were talking about that, you know, you mentioned a, a few local designers who are are using this this cloth. So you know, there are different people doing different things, uh, and this was not the only news report that ever came out about anything ever, and it's not the only designer who's ever done anything ever. There, you, there, it's all about all these different. Uh, uh, attacks as it were on on onto uh malaysian fashion and it it's hardly surprising that uh a dutch woman however many years she may have been here may have gotten it a bit wrong and hopefully this whole episode would be a learning moment for everyone yeah and i, I tell you what, i it's a learning moment that i haven't learned because i do know for a fact that the the anger generated by this was so profound that if you come out on the side of of well not your side azura that everyone's gonna be shouting at me now <laughs> <laughs> well That's you know i'm sure i expect some nail bombs in the post yeah yeah um <laughs> well, but I, I think i think what we've learned also is that uh cam if you do pull off that gingham look at that next kanduri i think the statement on your end will be much more diverse and, and, and colorful as well yeah i'm dressed like my great great grandfather uh <laughs> but i um i think also that the vehemence with people j jump in on these things is that we're policing ourselves, but we're also negotiating the the language that that is acceptable language. I, I think that ten years ago, what she said, if it had come out, it would be like, well, that's a you know, whatever. Would have just whooshed. Yeah, on the top you know, of our that's heads. what people say. But now, but now it's sort of like people have 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 the ability to jump onto social media and, and state their claim and and to say no this is the language that we use now we don't say the word crusade it's funny because of course if um you know this interview had come out let's say even in the early 90s where you know sometimes you know we almost celebrated anything that had any connection to to malaysia and you know she might have actually been seen maybe as um, um, somebody who would have promoted um, Malaysian or Southeast Asian design to a international stage or whatever, it might have turned out very differently. But I think, as you said, I, the, the ability in which many people, informed or otherwise, can engage in these culture wars. And this was, this had all of the ingredients as well. You know, um, it, 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 it had sort of the, the, the key protagonist, which, which was, um, you know, a, a style, it's an intangible thing, almost, even though it, it, it's based on something and, um, you know, post-colonial hangovers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, uh, we, we must remember, this is probably the longest we've spent on better culture ever <laughs> on a single topic, actually, I think. Like I said, uh, it's multi-layered. It is multi-layered, especially when one spreads more layers on. Um, <laughs> I uh, We must move on, though, to uh, the final uh, part of the show, uh, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Ezra Zaid goes first. I think it's um, it, it's it's a very short documentary uh, that I'm watching or that I've watched on on Netflix. It's called Ramdas Going Home. If you don't know who Ramdas is, he basically um, epitomized the sort of new age spiritual psychedelic sort of movement and and it sort of became a, a, a sort of a guru himself for for the longest time but just going back to what this documentary is about um it's it's basically um he experienced like i think a stroke about 20 years ago and this very short film captures the world through his eyes you know as he reflects on all the things that he's been trying to do as as a, a spiritual person <clears throat> about love life and death and 
uh, the film captures his his own days as it comes to a close. Uh, so what's it called again? Ram Dass Going Home. And yeah, that's on Netflix. And, and I think the reason I've come across this is because I've been, you know, coming across his writings and recordings. And I mean, I think it's always just fun to see what these new age guys were talking about in the 60s and 70s, because I was a part of that generation. And there was some, some really sort of interesting, diverse thinking about what spirituality meant. It might have been just the LSD and, and, and the weed, but, <laughs> but even so, it, 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 it's so fascinating to, to see that sepia tones and people gathered around with tambourines and, and chanting and stuff. It's, 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 it's very interesting. Mm, cool. It's been on for, I've never seen it on Netflix and God knows, I think I've watched. You've been on Netflix. <laughs> everything. <laughs> I'll have a look for it again. Uh, so that's uh, Ram Das. Ram Das Going Home going home okay so my recommendation is a book i went on the last day before mco 2.0 to our kino Kino bookshop to get some books and and as i was looking i, I love history books and there's like oh it's battle of stalingrad something about general patterns like oh, i know all this stuff it's so dull as i think what i really want is a history about trade and then there it was a book a history of trade it's called a splendid exchange how trade shaped the world by william j bernstein and it's it's really good it's fascinating it's 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 about trade and uh, this part of the world peninsula malaysia also uh, borneo malaysia it, it, it it's all about trade uh, i mean the word kingdom we were talking about earlier all where these- does it start from which is its year dot uh, this book uh, takes it back as far as it can to um, to like uh, four thousand years ago, and, and and it's what's wonderful also about this book. It's written by an American, and it's um, it's not Eurocentric. He spends a lot of time talking about the trade world of uh, Indian Ocean, Asia Pacific trade world, and um, about here, about this part of the world, and it's um, it just makes so much sense when you're reading about trade. It's like oh, that's why this place is as it is. That's why we are as we are. And it's um, trade is so vitally important. We can be talking about Malaccan empires and Sri Vijayan empires and all that kind of thing as much as we want. But what they were all doing was taking part in trade, uh, which has shaped uh, the language, the food, the clothes, the everything about um, the peninsula that sits on possibly one of the most important sea lanes in the world so it's a really wonderful book it's it's so good that i have to keep stopping to sort of think about what i just read and that's pretty wow (laughs) so it's cool that's a full-throated recommendation right there and also have a a bit of a nap um it's called a splendid exchange how trade shaped the world by william j bernstein i bought the last copy from kino kunia but you can find it i'm sure somewhere else In, on your bookshelf, at the very least. Well, don't, no, no. If you're finding it on my bookshelf, then I'm going to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Azura, what, what are you up? Um, I've got a Korean series. Oh. I know Ezra's rolling his eyes already. Um, it's called Yoon's Day. Um, you know, it's, it's just the kind of soothing TV that you need when you're locked up in your house, condo, whatever it is. Um, in my case, with my parents. Um, and when you it, say soothing, like in the first episode, there are seven plot twists already? or No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's basically about a bunch of actors 
um, top Korean actors who are sent to um, one part of their country to run an inn. So they, are, they have to cook, they have to clean, and um, it's just, you know, the struggles of running an inn. So it's a bit like a faulty towers in some ways. Wow. Um, and, it's, and it's actually filmed during the pandemic. So, you know, they, they speak about all the um, uh, precautions that they've had to take uh, in terms of making sure that their guests are safe, that they are safe. So it's quite current as well in that sense. And, um, and so they receive guests who are basically um, expats who live in Korea, foreigners who live in Korea and um, South Korea. And they've been there for about a year or less. So still finding their ropes in the country and they have moved during the pandemic and have not seen much of the country. So they are there to provide uh, an experience of living in a traditional Korean guest house. So there's plenty of, you know, lightly comedic moments where they suddenly realize that, you know, it's a huge estate and they have to run from one end to the other just to deliver food. And it's very, very cold. And the menu that they've got is very complicated. So it's, um, it's so soothing that I, I fell asleep after half an hour watching it. Wow. And there was another 60 minutes to go through. But it's something that you just can just, you know, kind of escape to, you know, during the one or two moments that you might have at home while you're busy homeschooling the kids or, you know, um, trying to get away from working from home. It's, it's a real nice soothing watch. It's on View, which is an app. It's not on Netflix. Uh, or you can find it on one of those many Korean drama websites, Drama Cool or K-Drama Cool. Um, and um, it's currently uh, on episode two. And that's another, I think, perhaps 10 episodes to go. Sorry, is it a uh, like a reality TV thing or a drama? It is, it is. Oh, it right, is okay. a reality uh, TV thing. Um, and they've done previous incarnations of it before called Yoon's Kitchen. And it's about running a restaurant abroad. Um, but since, you know, you can't travel abroad anymore. So they've decided to run a guest house uh, within South Korea instead. And it's it's um, really gentle watching. Okay. And it's called, what? Called what? What's it called? Yoon Stay. Y-O-U-N apostrophe S. Stay, S-T-A-Y. Okay, and we will uh, end this episode and play out with Azura Rahman singing the theme tune to <laughs> Yoon's Stay. I'm sure you know it already, don't you? Uh, <laughs> there isn't one. There no? isn't one. Oh? Unfortunately, it's just a very generic kind of um, uh, minus one kind of playback. Oh, oh, one. How unfortunate. <laughs> but it features the gorgeous Park Seo Joon. I just had to drop his name and... So well, it's, it's very nice watching. I, I wondered why exactly, what was the pull <laughs> factor, but I mean, I'm glad that that's been resolved now. <clears throat> Moving on. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually, I, I respect that. I'm not a big fan of Korean dramas, but I love Korean cinema. Um, but uh, oh, right. I'll watch it. I'll check it out for, for your sake then, okay? Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a good nightcap, a good nightcap. Okay. All right. Well, that uh, then brings us to the end of uh, this show. Only remains for me now to thank uh, special guests, um, uh, Azura Rahman. Bye-bye. And Ezra Zaid. And Ezra Zaid, do you want to tell us again what your uh, podcast is and how you can find it and all that well, kind of thing? You, you, can search, <laughs> you can search the Ezra Zaid Project on Spotify or head to EzraZaid.com. And, and Cam, thanks for, very much for having me on. And what, what will you find when you get there? What are your, what are your podcasts? Well, it's it's the uh, I guess stories of uh, individuals navigating the the prospect of adversity and, and discovery, and I, I just sort of find out what their stories and and put them into a nice little cute narrative frame that's bite sized, I guess. Yeah, that that that's your elevator pitch, is it? I mean, we, you set me up, and I had to take. Yeah. It well, 
yeah well you might want to work on that one <laughs> uh, so uh well thank you very much and uh please join us next week for another exciting episode of a bit of culture here on bfm 89.9 Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. <laughs>